Chara Supply Chain. Highlighting and showcasing solutions for the most complex challenges facing the industry in 21st century by our team of subject matter experts and mentors. Broadcasting every week all year round, we will present the most up-to-date series of podcasts and webinars. Hello and welcome to another episode of Vichara Supply Chain. This is Norhadi House. We have a very special guest today, uh, Rahid Sati, a supply chain and procurement leader, uh, chief procurement officer at Sunrise Medical, and he is based in Germany. Thank you for joining us, and it's great to have you on the show, Rahid. It's my pleasure, uh, Nurhadi. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, and I do want to commend uh, the outstanding work uh, that you are doing, um, not only to build a community of procurement and supply chain professionals, but also in terms of developing and sharing content around uh, the topic of procurement and supply chain. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, I've seen that you've hosted a number of um, uh, very, you know, subject matter experts in procurement and supply chain. So I'll try my very best to live up to the standards uh, that have been set here. All right. So today's topic is a reflection on supply chain leadership. But uh, before that, can you please speak a bit about yourself and how did you get in this, this role? Sure. Um, so, you know, like most uh, procurement and supply chain professionals, I landed in the procurement and supply chain function accidentally. Mm -hmm. right? I, in fact, started out my career in a very different way. I, uh, I worked as a professional uh, fundraiser for one of the world's largest, not one of, in fact, the world's largest student organization called ISEC. Um, I was uh, raising funds for them uh, in India. And then uh, after that, I spent a couple of years at their international headquarters in uh, Rotterdam in Holland, um, essentially meeting senior executives, senior leaders yes. from multinational companies all over the world, uh, raising funds for this NGO. And um, one of the companies with whom uh, I had built up a partnership between ISEC uh, or with ISEC was a leading uh, home appliance manufacturer called Electrolux. Mm -hmm. uh, so I spent six years at Electrolux. Those were prob probably one of the most phenomenal uh, years uh, in my career because that's where I learned the basics and the fundamentals of uh, procurement and supply chain. I had the opportunity to lead a number of um, global logistics, supply chain, and procurement transformation projects. Uh, I, in fact, even had the opportunity to lead a global uh, category, uh, the global category of steel, which was the single biggest category at Electrolux. And Electrolux gave me an opportunity to live and work in the United States, uh, in China, uh, in France, and a tremendous number of opportunities to travel all over the world through my um, global procurement and supply chain transformation projects. Um, after that, I worked for uh, another six or seven years, uh, again, for a fantastic company, a company called Federal Mogul, which is today known as Teneco. It mm -hmm. is one of the world's leading uh, tier one automotive suppliers. 
Um, this was a company where I again had the opportunity to not only manage um, global categories, but I also had the opportunity to lead a fairly large integration uh, of a company uh, that was purchased by Federal Mogul. Um, and I, I, I wrapped up my time or my stint at Federal Mogul um, as a director of procurement and supply chain for one of Federal Mogul's uh, business units. Mm-hmm. Um, after Federal Mogul, I spent, uh, I had a short stint, uh, you know, an 11 month stint at a company called Cooper Standard, which is also a tier one automotive supplier as a vice president of procurement for um, Europe and uh, Brazil. Yep. And just then, um, what I would say when I think of it in hindsight, an outstanding opportunity knocked at my doorstep. And that was an opportunity to um, essentially do two roles. One is act as a global head of procurement and supply chain uh, for a company called Sunrise Medical. And I'll tell you a little bit more about who we are and what we do. And, and also, um, I'm, I'm sitting on the steering committee of um, Nordic Capital, uh, who is our owner um, on the steering committee of the procurement organization of Nordic Capital. Yep. So essentially do two roles in the capacity of CPO at uh, Sunrise Medical. I'm responsible for all of the strategic procurement initiatives, as well as all of the uh, supply chain initiatives in the space of um, inbound and outbound transportation in, in terms of material management, uh, sales inventory and operations planning. Uh, so all of that. And then I get to do some very interesting cross-portfolio work uh, in my role as a steering committee member of Nordic Capital's procurement organization. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So I would like to start with my first question here. That's the year of 2020 has become a challenging time. And, you know, the COVID-19 crisis puts lots of pressure on procurement and supply chain side. So um, can you please share with us some of the success stories of how you manage supply chains within a company during this period? Sure. I think, you know, uh, COVID, managing the supply chain through COVID-19 was particularly uh, interesting, challenging, and difficult mm-hmm. uh, for one primary reason. And the reason is there was no or there is no playbook right. that is available for managing supply chain through a pandemic. You know, over a period of time, uh, I think we've kind of mastered the art of, you know, managing supply chain through natural disasters and, you know, earthquakes and um, events such as what happened in Fukushima. So we've all at some points in time in our careers managed supply chains through, you know, these one-off events, which are very focalized in one part of the world. But COVID-19 was something special. Uh, It was the pandemic, ripple effects were felt all over the world. And believe it or not, we are not out of it yet. So it would not be wise of us to kind of, you know, move on to the usual way of doing business because we are not out of the impact of the pandemic yet. And you know very well, Nurhadi, that uh, today finding space on a ship is extremely difficult for two primary reasons. Uh, Containers are returning back uh, to their, you know, for loading anywhere between 15 to 20 days later than what they would have normally returned. 
And that issue is being compounded by uh, a lot of um, capacity uh, that has been idled by the ship owners, right? So yeah. the issue of uh, finding space continues to remain, um, but we will get through that, right? Like we did get through um, the initial uh, steps of COVID-19. So um, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, in, in the middle of January, uh, I returned from my annual vacation in Singapore and India. Uh, we got back to Frankfurt and then my wife and I started to engage uh, with a number of groups, um, you know, um, Chinese groups in Germany. Yeah. And what we started to do was we started to source uh, personal protective equipment uh, from Germany or from Europe along with this group and supply that to hospitals, uh, to our vendors, so employees of our vendors, and of course to our teams uh, all across China. So um, during that period, I built up a fairly large network of um, you know, Asian and, and Chinese uh, professionals here in Germany. And through that engagement, I learned a lot. Right? And one of the biggest things I learned was that the impact of this pandemic is going to be much worse than what most people are estimating. Right? So because of that engagement, I was able to get a very good gauge of what's going to happen. Right? Yeah. So believe it or not, already in the end of January, when majority of the companies and people in Europe were you know, still kind of figuring out what's going to happen, I had kicked off a global supply chain management task force already in the end of January, right? Mm -hmm. In the first week of February, we had mapped up all of the inventory that was available at all of the different points in our supply chain. And by the middle of February, we had already started communicating to all of our stakeholders. And when I say all of our stakeholders, I mean our owners, the private equity investors, our lenders, our uh, rating agencies, uh, our customers, and of course, our suppliers. And why did I do that? I did that primarily because, you know, in, the, in, the, in a situation like what we were in, the last thing you want is panic. Mm -hmm. What you want is providing a sense of confidence and uh, building a sense of trust and making the actors in your environment or in your ecosystem aware of the fact that Sunrise Medical is fully aware of the supply chain risks and they have a plan in place to the best of their knowledge to address those risks. Yeah. And I think my team did an outstanding job at communicating uh, to all of our uh, stakeholders and create that sense of comfort and confidence in us, Sunrise Medical, as a great actor um, within the business of uh, wheelchairs. We even went to the point of, you know, we started to send um, employee health and safety advice to our suppliers. We shared what Sunrise Medical was doing to ensure the security and safety of our employees. We mm -hmm. shared that best case practice with our suppliers, right? There were times when our category managers needed to speak with employees of our suppliers to give them the confidence that Sunrise Medical is, he is here. And the thing is, Sunrise Medical is considered as an essential business because we are manufacturing product that is required by the community and required by the society. 
So yeah. we needed to make sure that our suppliers had the confidence in us. Our suppliers needed to continuously produce and ship product over demand. If we were not able to do that, we would not be able to fulfill our purpose, mm -hmm. right? We did all of the different initiatives such as, you know, repurposing of inventory, acting as one large global team. We shared and move inventory across our manufacturing sites. The beauty is a lot of our products, they are based off of a global platform. So we have the ability to move inventory across sites and use it. We were able to substitute uh, various SKUs either on the inbound or the outbound side. So we kind of did all that. And you know, the icing on the cake, what, what was it for Hari? Was that in the middle of April, one, um, one individual who I had interacted with in early January yeah. to find PPE for um, hospitals and uh, you know, various institutions in China, that individual helped me in the middle of April to get 15,000 masks for one of my manufacturing locations. But mm -hmm. it was very difficult for me to, to procure that. Right. And so one of my biggest learnings from this whole exercise is, you know, what goes around comes around. If I would not have engaged in a social, in a socially conscious manner to provide support to people in need in China in January, I wouldn't have had the information that I had about how bad this pandemic is going to get. Yeah. I wouldn't have had taken the steps to proactively act towards managing the supply chain. And I wouldn't have had the possibility to uh, get masks and uh, PPE for my employees when they needed it, right? So this is, this is something that I have, these, these are sort of my reflections over what we did, how we did, and how well we did things. And how is the COVID-19 transforming uh, global uh, supply chain? Uh, what is your view on this, uh, right? So I think um, I think a couple of things, Nuradi. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that in your network you've heard a lot of people saying things like, you know, we are not going to we are going to stop buying from China and we are going to only source locally. We're only going to source regionally. Yeah, I think that's not going to happen, right? So I, I don't want to talk about that element because I think it's very very far fetched, and I don't think that's right either, right? Uh, the cost that we would incur to completely decouple the supply chain from China is monumental. And I don't think anyone has the appetite to incur that, uh, that cost. And I don't think it's required either. So we'll kind of keep that aside. Um, I, you know, I always try to think of this in the context of four value drivers of a business. So if you look at any business, there are four factors that drive the value of a business. One is the cash flow. The two is the top line or the revenue or the sales growth. Yeah. The third is the risk to the top line and to the cash. And the fourth is the people, mm -hmm. right? So when we talk about transformation, I think procurement teams and supply chain teams need to first understand the critical role or the pivotal role that they play or they can play in influencing each of these four value drivers for a business. And once they have kind of done that, the focus really has to be on building truly resilient supply chains. And we can talk a little bit about how do we do that, right? And um, I, I essentially would sort of zero in on three or four core points. And first and foremost, it's all going to be about 
mapping the supply chain, getting visibility of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of people, they just focus on building visibility of their tier one and their tier two and their tier three suppliers. And I think that's not sufficient. I think we need to have, when we talk about mapping the supply chain and getting visibility of the supply chain, I'm really talking about getting an understanding of all of the complexity that is built up in your supply chain. And that complexity relates to you know, inbound and outbound. How many vendors do you have? What are the different kinds of trade lanes or flows that are coming into your facility? How many touch points are there? How many SKUs are you shipping out of your door? How many SKUs are you buying into your facility? So we shouldn't stop at just mapping the tier one and the tier two of the supply chain or the tier three. I wanna say that we need to assess and understand and map the overall complexity of our supply chain. And more important than that is, you know, COVID-19 has taught us. We can all figure out a way to manage a disruption, right? But what we need to understand is we need to understand what is the business impact of a disruption? What is the likelihood of that disruption happening? And then putting together strategies to address that, right? The second piece is all about building agility and flexibility in your supply chain. Why? Primarily to drive enhanced customer satisfaction. Because if my supply chain is agile, if my supply chain is flexible, and if there is a shock, I can still continue to supply to my customers on time and in full. I can still continue to drive customer delight by delivering to my customers on time, in full, and before when they expect it, right? And how do you build agility and flexibility in the supply chain? There are some very basic tools or levers, right? It's all about reducing the lead time to the customer. The customer has to be at the center of everything that a global supply chain and procurement team does. Mm -hmm. And we have to be committed to deliver faster, to deliver better, and to deliver in full to our customer. And when we can do that, automatically, we drive revenue. We drive top line. And that's why I always connect it back to our value driver, right? Um, We need to look at how, you know, what are the kinds of minimum order quantities we have. We need to strike the right balance between price and minimum order quantity. We need to take a serious look at the need to redesign our supply chain, right? Um, We cannot keep doing what we were doing before and expect another result, right? So we have to look at redesigning our supply chain. And when we talk about redesign, We've got to look at, you know, consolidation at the origin, deconsolidation at the destination. How many less than truckload shipments are you sending? How many less than container load shipments are you sending? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to combine LCLs or LTLs into FCLs and FTLs? That also has, by the way, a very strong and a good impact when you look at reducing the carbon footprint of the organization. Mm -hmm. And last but not the least, global procurement and supply chain teams they need to orchestrate cross-functional stakeholder collaboration. Collaboration is the key, and yep. the procurement and supply chain teams need to orchestrate that collaboration. And the second is, once you've orchestrated that collaboration, what kind of bespoke, customized technology that you could use 
This needs to be ascertained in order to drive or unlock value for the business. Yeah. Right. So a lot of cross-functional uh, collaboration needs to be orchestrated. Uh, to give you a simple example, um, you know, the procurement and supply chain teams need to make it visible to uh, the re- R&D groups or the product management groups. What is the cost of the complexity that is embedded in our supply chain? Mm-hmm. How can we reduce that cost of complexity? And when we reduce that cost of complexity, how can we be able to serve our customers better? Mm-hmm. Right? We need to connect with our sales teams in order to be able to predict our demand better. See, most of the companies have figured out a way to predict demand on the basis of history. Yeah. But very few companies have figured out a way to predict demand on the basis of trends in the market, in, on the basis of what's coming in the future. And I think we've got to find a way to leverage technology to do just that. Yeah. Right? And I think integrated business planning is a great product. It's a great concept. It's a great way of doing things, but I think that comes a little later. I think you've got to take the, uh, you know, take things step by step by step, get started with an SNOP process, mature it, and eventually go towards integrated business planning. All right. So this is my last question on today's podcast, uh, right? So um, to recap our discussion, uh, what are some of the reflections in 2020 and how does the company prioritize the supply chain strategy for this year of 2021? Well, that's a fully loaded question, Nurhadi. I can, you know, I, I've spent most of my, uh, my vacation thinking about what I learned and, uh, you know, what, what I could do better. Yeah. So I'll try to kind of summarize that, right? I think in general, majority of the supply chain teams did a, a reasonably good job at figuring out a way to manage this disruption. Uh, and kudos to them for that. Uh, have a lot of respect for supply chain teams that have figured out a way to do that. The first and foremost reflection is it's not over yet, mm. right? And we need to continue um, uh, this journey further, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there are amazing technologies and products and solutions that are available out there that were deployed by various organizations and by companies. But I have to say that the single thing that enabled my organization, my team, in order to manage this crisis as well as we did, was a very, very strong culture. And it was our people. All right. Right? Culture and people, this was really at the core of how we managed this crisis. And to give you a few thoughts uh, around that, it was all about, you know, uh, it was about proactiveness. It was about acting. It was about... Um, the constant focus on uh, making a decision, in executing it, learning from it, and adapting it. A constant focus of serving the customer, a constant focus of um, enabling us to fulfill our purpose. And our company has a purpose of improving people's lives, right? Every single team member of mine, we lived and breathed that purpose. We were always focused on making sure that shortage of material should not come in the way of fulfilling our purpose of improving people's lives, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And this culture of you know, constantly thinking about what haven't we thought about, right? What could go wrong? And having a place, having a plan in place to address it. 
constantly connecting the dots. We were receiving so many different pieces of information at all points in time. And my team and I, we were always figuring out and thinking about, okay, this event happens. What is going to be the impact of that elsewhere in the supply chain? Yeah. So constantly connecting uh, the dots. I think the third reflection is that, you know, um, there has been a lot of awareness created about uh, the role of the supply chain. In fact, now uh, I don't, uh, neither me nor my mother nor my wife need to explain to anybody uh, what is the role of a supply chain team or they don't need to explain what does a supply chain professional do, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. now every time you use the word vaccine, the next question is, is there a supply chain in place to bring the vaccine to the user, Yeah, yeah. right? Right. I think the, the fourth and uh, probably a very, very important um, reflection I have, Nurhardi, is I think we need to start thinking differently, mm. right? Um, we need to make a proper transition from surviving adversity to putting in place plans and deploying technologies and approaches so that our businesses can thrive through adversity. There is a, a very renowned uh, professor, uh, Professor Gulati in Harvard Business School, and he talks a lot about, and he's someone who's inspired my thinking around this topic is, we've all figured out how to survive adversity. Mm -hmm. What supply chain needs to do is, we need to build up supply chains that are resilient, so resilient that they can enable the organizations to actually thrive uh, through the adversity. We need to continue to invest in our people. We need to build our culture. And last but not the least, we need to select extremely bespoke technology to solve specific problems that we have. Um, there are so many technology solutions that are out there. There are a lot of people who are selling uh, you know, the fact that this technology can do everything, but I'm afraid I'm not one of the people who believes that there is a one size fits all solution. Yeah. I think each of our realities are different. Our businesses are different. Our customers are different. Our challenges are different. We've got to pick the right technologies at the right time and deploy it in the right places in our organization. If we want supply chain teams to continue to create value uh, for the business. And last but not the least, we have to be focused on creating awareness of the cost of the complexity that is built in our supply chain. And once we've generated that awareness, we have to take steps to reducing complexity in our supply chain. That's, these are sort of my core reflections. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, so uh, once again, uh, thanks for joining us, Rohit. Uh, it's really nice discussion today. Uh, Happy New Year and wish you best of luck. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. At Bichara Supply Chain, we are committed to driving global perspective to embrace technological adaptation in improving process efficiencies. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share the Chara Supply Chain. And stay tuned for the latest updates. To learn more, visit our website www.picharasupplychain.com. Thank you for listening to us. We look forward to seeing you at our next episode.